Somebody say, bless him, Jesus. If you would stand with me and join hands with that neighbor and gently squeeze that neighbor's hand. Lord, you are our light and our salvation. Whom shall we fear? You are the strength of our life, and we shall not be afraid. We thank you for even when the wicked and the enemy came upon us to eat up our flesh, you caused them to stumble and to fall. We pray even now, Lord, that you will bless us to give a word on tonight, not that will lift me, but that will lift you, that will usher in your glory in these crucial times. Somebody needs to hear a word from you. Somebody needs understanding. Somebody is in need of revelation. And we believe on this night that you have the words and help us to speak these words as you have given them to us. Even now, Lord, as we gently squeezed our neighbor's hand, we don't know who came here on a wing in a prayer, but we believe that there is an anointing that will destroy every yoke, that will lift every burden, that will calm every fear and soothe every doubt. And we pray even right now for our brother, for our sister, whose hand we hold. Let there be a spiritual anointing flowing from us to them, from them to us. And we believe even right now that while we're praising you in this auditorium, that you're moving on our behalf at home and on our jobs, that when we get back home, things are going to be turned for the good. Gently squeeze that neighbor's hand. I believe right now that as I connect with my brother, we're going to chase demons. You said one can chase a thousand, but two can put 10,000 to flight. And we believe that where there is unity, there is strength. So I agree with my brother and I agree with my sister that you shall get the glory out of my hurt. You shall get the glory out of my pain. You shall get the glory out of my tears. Now, Lord, send your anointing. Send it on down. Let your glory fill this house. Be lifted up, and we shall continue to give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. It is so. Amen. Amen. And amen. Come on, loose them hands and give God praise in here. If you will remain standing and turn your Bibles the apparatuses that you have your Bibles on to the third chapter of the book of Philippians. And out of that third chapter, we will read verses 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. 10 through 14, the third chapter of Philippians. And then we will go over to the first chapter of Philippians and we will close with verse number six. Philippians 3, 10 to 14. And then we will close verse 6 of chapter 1. When you have it, say amen. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. I'm reading out of the New King James translation. 
if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained or am already perfect, but I press, somebody say I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, sisters, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are ahead. I press, somebody shout I press, toward the mark for the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. Chapter one, verse number six, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, he will complete it until the day of Jesus the Christ. Brother, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but with this one thing I do, forgetting those things, somebody said forget about it, which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are ahead, I press, somebody say I press, toward the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. Look at that neighbor and tell him, neighbor, it's pressing time. Tell that other neighbor, did you hear what I said? It's pressing time. Come on and give God a praise and take your seat. It's pressing time. It is here in this epistle of Philippians. Philippians is the third of four epistles that the Bible writers have placed in chronological order. You have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And it seems here in these four epistles, they would seem somewhat to be synoptic because it seems as though while Paul is talking to four different groups of people, he's talking to the church at Galatia, He's talking to the saints who are in the church of Ephesus, Philippi, and Colossae. And while all of them are different bodies of people in different worship settings, when you read these four epistles, you will find that all of them somewhat, in some way, form, or fashion, speak to the same things. While they all have their individualities, when it's all said and done, it seems as though Paul is being a bit redundant. And he's seemingly saying some of the same things to the folk in Galatia as he's saying to the folk at Ephesus. And saying the same thing to the folk in Philippi that he's saying to Galatia and Ephesus and the same at Colossae that he's saying to the other three. When you look at the history behind these four epistles, you will see that three of them, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, are considered his jail cell epistles. As 
Dr. King years ago in the 60s wrote a letter from the Birmingham jail. It is the Apostle Paul that speaks to the churches in Ephesus, Philippi, and Colossae from Nero's jail cell in Rome. It is Paul who is what we would be considered today on death row. And unless God turns the tide, he is facing sudden decapitation. But when you look at Philippians and the letter to the church at Philippi, unlike the other three, he seems to stress the need for the church to operate in the spirit of praise and adoration to God. It is known as the epistle of joy. He says to them, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say unto you, rejoice. And while you look and say, well, Paul, it looks like, yeah, you're talking about joy to the folk at Philippi, but it seems like you're repeating yourself in these four epistles. But I've come to learn, brothers and sisters, that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether saints are on the East Coast or the West Coast. Doesn't matter whether you're Church of God in Christ, PAFW, Methodist, or Presbyterian. At the end of the day, all of us are dealing with the same thing. All of us are having our same struggles. Reminds me of the story where the young boy was in grade school and the teacher had asked the kids in class to bring in an essay on your family pet. And it was this young boy that remembered the last year that his sister was asked to do the same assignment by the same teacher. And he remembered that his sister received an A plus on that exam. So he got his sister's essay and he got a fresh piece of paper and he began to write the essay word for word, punctuation from punctuation on his paper that his sister wrote the year before. He said if she got an A plus, then I don't have to worry about a thing. He turned in the essay and he turned it in and knew that he had done well. But on the next day when the essays were graded by the teacher and returned back to the class, she turned back his essay to him and he was smiling and looked at it much to his surprise. He received an E for failure and he was bewildered because he knew that it was a good essay. After class was over, he went up to the front of the class and to the teacher's desk and he challenged her, Bishop Shear. He said, I know this was a good essay. I know that the grammar was correct. I know that the words were spelled right and the punctuations were in order. He said, but I can't understand why you gave me an E on this exam. She looked at him and she said, I'm insulted 
that you would turn in a paper that your sister turned in last year. I keep copies of all the essays that I have the students to write. When I got to reading yours, it sounded familiar. So I went to the file from last year and pulled your sister's paper. I put them side by side. And only thing that is different on your paper than on her essay is your name and not her name. She said, why in the world would you insult me and my intelligence to turn in the same exact essay that your sister turned in last year? She said, what would cause you to do such a thing as this? He looked at her and said, it's the same dog. In other words, it's the same dog last year, same dog this year. If that was a good essay last year, it ought to be an A this year. And I've come to learn, brothers and sisters, that when you look at the people of God, it doesn't matter whether you're in the pulpit or you're in the pew. It doesn't matter whether you're on the East Coast or the West Coast. It doesn't matter whether you're high in the church or low in the church. Paul said that everybody ought to be pressing toward the mark. Tell that neighbor, it's pressing time. Sometimes we get to a place in God where we think we don't have to press anymore. We get to a place in our Christian experience where Sunday school, we have outgrown it. Bible class, we have outgrown it. I've never seen a people in the day and time that I see now where they just hate going to church. I tell folk at greater grace, y'all couldn't have never made it in the old church. In the old church, you had a Sunday school early in the morning. You had Sunday service at 11. And it ran for about three hours and 15 minutes. And y'all had YPWW, I believe it was called, Sunshine Band. I know about the church. And then on Sunday night after eating dinner, we did have song service. And song service started off with, have you tried Jesus? He's all right. Have you tried him for your doctor? He's all right. Have you tried him for your lawyer? He's all right. Have you tried him for your teacher? He's all right. And about 20 minutes later, we ain't had nothing else to say. So we said, all right, all right, all right, all right. Am I talking to some old school folk up in here? You couldn't have made it in the old church when we had five-day revival. You couldn't have made it in the old church when we had to fast and pray and wasn't no midnight to four o'clock. I'm talking three-day fast. You couldn't drink mouthwash. Couldn't have a Tic Tac, if you please. Folk nowadays can't even fast and they eat at 11.59 before they go to bed and don't get up to 1 p.m. and looking at the clock for three hours. Brothers and sisters, everybody's got to do some pressing. 
everybody's got to do some reaching because just when you think that you have arrived God will allow some things to happen in your life to show you that you are not where you ought to be tell that neighbor it's pressing time it is Paul here that declares to the church at Philippi that everybody ought to have some confidence somebody shout confidence it is Paul who declares in chapter 6, chapter 1, verse 6, that being confident of this very thing. And Paul says to each and every one of us that you ought not ever lose your confidence. I look around the church today and it seems as though everybody and too many have lost their confidence come to the church with their heads down. I remember a day when folk used to run to the church. When folk got to the church before testimony service start. Now folk come to a two hour service at 1.45 when the preacher is almost done and still trying to leave before the benediction. What's wrong with you? Well, I'm just going through. Everybody going through. But just because you're going through don't mean that you've got to let the devil know that he's getting the best to you. Everybody that loved the Lord and is a child of God ought to have some confidence somebody shout confidence back in the D Bishop Drew said we don't call it confidence we say you ought to have some swag everybody ought to have some swagger look at that neighbor and ask him what happened to your swag what happened to your confidence one thing I love about President Barack Hussein Obama is that I don't care what kind of day he's having. He always has uh, his confidence. I love watching the president. He could have just lost the House and the Senate. But when he comes out, he's got his hand in his pocket. He's still got his confidence. When he comes out of Air Force One, he comes jogging down the steps without holding the rail. Our President Gerald Ford, he was tripping, falling, bumping his head, had bandages all the time. Somebody say, President Obama, how come you can run down them steps? You don't even grab the rail. Aren't you scared you're going to trip and fall? He say, I know how to come down the steps of my plane. Let me tell you something. This might be the Edward Jones Dome, but tonight it's the house of God, and I don't care what kind of bad day you've been having, you ought to walk in here with some confidence. Tell that neighbor, get your swag back. Tell that other neighbor, get your swag back. You ain't got to let the devil know that he's got to drop on you. You ain't got to let the devil know that you done had a bad day. I don't care what kind of day you have enough. You ought to declare that I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. You might be broke as can be, but you ought to walk like you a millionaire. Am I talking to somebody that got their confidence? Watch this. But sometimes uh, we walk uh, 
and we're afraid to show confidence because sometimes people confuse confidence with arrogance and we understand that the Bible speaks against arrogance we know that the Bible speaks about a proud look and a haughty spirit but Paul is not saying that anybody has the right to be arrogant but he is saying that you have the right as a child of God to walk in confidence you have to understand that confidence is different than arrogance when you talk about arrogance arrogance speaks of your ability arrogance speaks of my education arrogance speaks of my skill set but confidence says I got a GED but I can do all things through Christ that strengthened me is there anybody that got some confidence I believe when we look for arrogance it is King Nebuchadnezzar that is the poster boy for arrogance it was this king of Babylon that stepped out on the palatial palace balcony of the palace of Shushan he began to smell himself as grandmama used to say and he looked out over the botanical gardens of Babylon and he began to look and to feel himself and declared is this not great Babylon that I have built with mine own hands for my royal majesty and power the Bible says that that very hour God smote him and took the mind of a man and replaced it with the mind of a beast and the next time you see King Nebuchadnezzar he has now got a beast mindset and mentality and now he's not dining on steak and lobster if you please his cook has picketed the palace up and now he's out grazing in the field like a cow or a cattle if you please his nail technician went on strike and his nails grew out like bird claws and his barber took a sabbatical and his hair grew out like bird feathers and it wasn't until King Nebuchadnezzar looked up to heaven and said thee O Lord Lord, are the only true and righteous God that God returned him back to his right mind I came to tell the church of God today that I now understand what mama and daddy used to say and the saints of old when they used to testify I want to thank the Lord for being saved for being sanctified for being filled with the Holy Ghost with the mighty baptism of fire and I thank God that I'm clothed and in my right mind I came to tell the devil take my car repossess my house but I got my right mind some sister in here saying my husband left me took the car took the 401k took the toilet and took everything in the house but he didn't take my right mind is there anybody ain't got a house on the hill but you got your right mind ain't got a million dollars but you got your right mind I dare you to shout glory 
for your right mind. Give him praise in here. Tell a neighbor, I got my right mind. Take your seat if you please. We must understand that it is God that formed us. And if it is God that has formed us, that it is God that began us on this journey. Now, if God began us on a journey, then it is up to him to finish our course. In other words, he would never start us out on something that he was not able to complete in us. We start things all the time and don't finish. We start a diet. We don't finish. We start school. We don't finish. We start marriages. Let me leave that alone. We start stuff all the time and don't finish. But anything that God starts, he is able. Somebody shout he's able to bring it to pass. So what God does is, I heard y'all tell me in Sunday school that he has three O's. I said, what are the three O's? Y'all told me that he is omnipotent. I said, what does that mean? You said it means he has all power. And then Mother Rivers, they said he is omnipresent. I said, what does that mean? They said, he's everywhere at the same time. I said, break it down. You said there is no place that you can go in heaven, hell, east side, west side that God does not feel. Then you told me something that I couldn't spell. He is omniscient. I said, what does that mean? And you told me he knows everything. I said, everything? They said, everything. I said, nobody knows everything. And you told me God knows everything. He knows your ending from your beginning. I said, not everything. You said he knows everything. And you got real specific and said he even knows the number of hairs that are on your head. And somebody said he knows them that you grew and them that you glued. He knows everything about you. So I said, break it down for me. And you told me that he knows my ending from my beginning. So God showed me, Bishop Hutchins, uh, he said, God says uh, that what I do is uh, before I even start you on a journey, uh, I already go to the end of your life. Uh, and when I get to the end of your life, uh, I look back over uh, and I see everything that you've got to come through. Uh, and I make a way for everything uh, that's going to come against you. Uh, he he says, when I do that, I step back in time and I meet you at your beginning and then I tell you come with me and let's take it one step at a time and all you have to do is stay in my wheel so God says I know everything and he says I will perform my good work in you but one thing that you got to appreciate is that in order for God to finish your work 
you've got to get it started and there are too many people in the church that are still at the starting block got saved 10 years ago Holy Ghost filled 20 years ago and the same thing bothering you now that was bothering you then ain't moved from the foundations of the church ain't moved from the things that were easy in the church but stuck in the quicksand of the rudiments of the church and have not begun to press toward a higher calling you've got to understand that nobody wins a race by staying at the starting block when y'all watched the Olympics a couple years ago I only watched for two things and that's the swim meet competition and that's track and field and when I watched the swim meet there is this boy named Michael Phelps he is a phenomenon and he's almost like that character in the movie Waterworld Kevin Costner you want to think he got gills somewhere he must have webbed hands of feet because when he gets in the water and gets to swimming can't nobody stay with him can't nobody hang with him and when I watch Michael Phelps he gets on the block and they say only a mark he turns up they say get set he bends down and when the gun goes on he dies and gets in the water he doesn't start swimming yet he just start moving his feet like a mermaid but when he comes up he's a stroking and a smoking and when you watch everybody else swimming it looks like they're taking one stroke and coming up for breath but Michael Phelps it looks like he's taking five six strokes and then coming up for breath when I watch him swim ain't no water moving it don't matter what kind of stroke he's swimming it looks like the water is just trickling up now understand what I'm saying at Mumford High School I swam the 800 meter butterfly and when I dove in the water and got to stroking I was in the middle lane of the pool and I was wetting up everything on both sides but when Michael felt is swimming that water is just trickling up like he's a fish and he most times beats everybody by four or five strokes that's because he leaves the starting block but you can't win unless you leave the block and then I love the track and field and I'm old enough to know about Edwin Moses I'm old enough to know about Ben Lewis I'm old enough to know about Carl about Carl Lewis and Ben Johnson but this boy from Jamaica Usain Bolt ain't never seen no confident rascal 
like him in all my life. He's better than Muhammad Ali was in the ring. Because Usain Bolt knows that they done already ran in the Olympic trials. And everybody got a time. He's already checked the time. And already no can't nobody beat me. So all I got to do is stay in the race. And don't trip and fall. When you see them getting ready, they all stretching. But Usain is just getting loose. He's just jumping. Ain't no nervousness in here. On your mark. Get set. The gun goes off. He don't have to get a good jump. All he got to do is come out clean. At 50 meters. It looks like they're in front of him. Looks like they're going to beat him. But all of a sudden, that boy is ordained by God to kick it in the overdrive and the turbo charge and to leave everybody in his way. And what I love about it, before he crossed the tape, he's already slowing it down and beating his chest. And when he breaks the tape, he looks up to heaven and gives God the glory. I just came to ask the church of God in Christ, are there any confident people in here that know your race is already won, that know the devil is already defeated? Is there anybody in here that will run the race looking under Jesus? That's the author and the finisher of your faith. And before you cross the finish line, will you smoke your breath and look in the devil's face and point to heaven and give God the glory? Shout glory! Shout glory again. Put them hands together and give God a praise. So you must understand that in Christianity, we're going to have our challenges in Christianity and in this walk with God. We're going to have our turmoil. We're going to have our trouble. That's going to be something that's going to oppose you. That's going to try to stop you and going to try to block you. But you've got to know that that's the trying of your faith. And you got to know that God has got you on the journey. But when you walk by faith, it's not going to be easy. When you walk by faith, it's not going to be a rose bed. When you walk by faith, it's not a yellow brick road. But sometimes you got to go through rough terrain. You got to go through the storm. You got to go through the wind. You got to go through the rain. You gotta press through your tears. But is there anybody in here that know if God before you is more than the world against you? Do I have a witness in here? Will somebody look at your neighbor and tell them, neighbor, every now and 
knees. You gotta shrug your shoulders. You gotta rear your back back. And you gotta press your way through. But the problem sometimes is that we think that we can understand God. But I learned a long time ago that you can't understand God. You might know him. You ought to trust him. You ought to believe in him. But that don't mean that you're going to understand him. My wife knows me. She trusts me. She believes me. That's why we've been married for 26 years. But if I tell the truth, there have been times when she looked at me and said, I don't understand you to save my life. And I trust God. And I know God. But every now and then, I don't understand what God is doing. But the writer come to tell me that his ways are not my ways. And his thoughts are not my thoughts. Is there anybody in here that'll trust God when you can't figure him out? Can you trust God when he don't answer you right away? Can you trust God when he don't come to your rescue? Look at that neighbor and tell a neighbor you gotta trust him when you can't figure him out. You gotta trust him when he make your way. You gotta trust him when it seems like he's not coming. But can I share this with you? I've learned over my 30 years of being saved that God will come in one of three ways. He'll come sometime immediately. Like the man that was possessed with demons. He spoke to the spirit and they came out immediately. But sometimes when he answers us right away instead of us getting better we get worse. So God says I gotta cut off the immediate blessing and I gotta open up the progressive blessing. I'm gonna make your way just a little while and y'all know what a progressive blessing is. The ten lepers he said go show yourself to the priest. They didn't get cleansed immediately but second by second minute by minute as they went they were cleansed and God has got somebody in a progressive blessing you gotta wait until he finishes you gotta wait until he bring you out but I'm so glad that he won't let you wait by yourself break it down Bishop Ellis I was watching rescue 911 there was a man that turned over in a kayak he needed help but the wind was boisterous and the waves were high the man was in jeopardy they saw it from the coast and they called 911 they sent a helicopter out to get the man they tried to lower the ladder down but the wind was moving and the ladder was swinging they had to retract it because they said it might hit him knock him unconscious and he'll drown and die so what they did brought the ladder back up and 
bullhorn and they said hey we can't come get you right now but what we gonna do is throw you out a life preserver and we're gonna tell you to wrap that around you and that'll hold you till we can come and get you and I'm so glad that while God's got me waiting he gave me grace to wrap around me and he told me my grace is sufficient for you is there anybody that thank God for his grace but that's not the only way the last way comes is the future blessing and every now and then after you have suffered a while and it still hadn't happened after you prayed and fast and you're still waiting on the Lord after you done fell out at the altar and went back to the doctor and they said the cancer spread you got in line and they laid hands on you and you confessed that I'm already healed but you got sick of the next day you confessed that my son is saved but you went back home he's still selling drugs you confessed that my marriage is together but you went back home and your husband walked out but after you suffered a while you still gotta stay in the race you still gotta press your way is there anybody in here that know every now and then you gotta read the words of Paul you gotta forget those things behind and I wish somebody would tell that neighbor you gotta forget your pain you gotta forget your hurt you gotta forget your tears you gotta forget your hardship you gotta forget your bills you gotta forget your trouble well bishop tell me what I ought to do you gotta press your way you gotta press your way through you gotta press through your storm you gotta press through your tears. You gotta press through your heartache. You gotta press through your pain. And after a while, he'll make it all right. I wish I had a witness. Look at that neighbor and give him a high five and tell the neighbors, oh neighbors, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I stayed in the race. I'm so glad that I held on to God. I'm so glad that I stayed in the church. I'm so glad that I came to convocation. I came on a wing and a prayer. But you'll never know it. Because I'm going to praise God. Like I'm going crazy. I'm going to bless the Lord. With everything I got. I'm going to lift up the Lord. To the voice of triumph. I'm going to lift my hands. And give him praise. I'm going to leap for joy. Like I got it going on. I'm going to confess that the work is already done. Is there anybody that won't wait till the battle is over? But we'll praise him right now. That we'll praise him through your tears. That we'll praise him through your hurt. That we'll praise him through your pain. I dare somebody that'll praise him right now.
I hear the Lord say, if you praise me right now, if you praise me in here, I'll dispatch an angel to your home. I'll dispatch an angel to your job. When you get there, it's already turned around. When you get there, it's already done. When you get home, it's already made. When you get back, the work is already done. I guess somebody that'll put your hands together and shout glory. Shout glory. Do I have a witness in here? I said, do I have a witness in here? Hold on just a minute. Let me help somebody out. Every now and then, God got to make us grow up because we think that we can order him around. We think that we can dictate to him. If you don't come by Friday and God say, what? You better still praise me. If you don't come by the 15th, what? You better still praise me. But tell that neighbor what the Lord is doing. He's trying to mature you. What the Lord is doing. He's trying to help you to grow up. He's trying to help you to understand that he don't work on your time. But he works on due time. And Paul said, be not weary in well-doing. For in due season, you shall reap if you faint not. Tell that neighbor, whatever you do, you better hang on. Whatever you do, you better hold on. Wherever you go, you better keep on praising. I'm reminded of the story of a young mother with her first child. She was weaning him out of her arms. The baby, he loves to be carried by mama. But mama says, it's time for me to wean him off. She got a big playpen and put the baby in the playpen. But the baby would holler and scream. The mama would pick him up. But she said, wait a minute. I got to wean him out of my arms. So she put him in the playpen and turned her back. He cried. He hollered. And he screamed. But she let him stay there in the playpen. Her father, he came over. The baby was hollering. He looked at his daughter. And he said, what's wrong with you? Get that baby up. And hold that baby. That baby is screaming. All the calls. Child Protective Services. She looked at her daddy and she let him pick the baby up. The daddy picked the baby up. He stopped crying. He stopped screaming. But she went and grabbed the baby. She put him back in the pen and looked at her daddy and said, Daddy, you raised me. Now let me raise my own. Don't pick him out of that pen. Let him stay there. Don't crave he cry and holler till he holler his lungs out. Let him stay there. I'm teaching him something. She went in the kitchen. Baby was hollering. 
baby was screaming. All of a sudden, she heard the baby stop. Didn't hear no crying. Didn't hear no screaming. She ran back into the family room and said, my daddy took the baby out the pen, I know. But when she got to the family room, must of her surprise, her daddy had got in the pen and was holding and rocking the baby. And she looked at her daddy and got ready to bless him out. But he said, wait a minute, you told me don't take him out of the pen. But you didn't tell me that I couldn't get in the pen with it. And that's what God does. Jesus comes along and gets in your trouble and gets in your sickness and gets in your tears. Somebody ought to say, Lord, get in my trouble. Lord, get in my pain. Lord, get in my tears. Lord, get in my hurt. I dare somebody to shake a neighbor's hand and tell a neighbor he will come see about you. He will make a way. He will open up doors. He will make it all right. He will heal your body. He will make you whole. He will make a way out of no way. He will step right in. But what you got to do, you got to praise him. Even when you're hurting, you got to press. Even when you're crying, you got to praise him through your tears. You got to praise him through your hurt. You got to press on through your troubles. I dare somebody to cross the aisle and give that neighbor high five and tell them neighbor don't know about you but as for me and my house I'm going to press to my victory I'm going to press to my healing I'm going to press to my breakthrough I'm going to press to restoration I'm going to press to my joy I'm going to press to my peace I'm going to press to my anointing I'm going to press to my power I'm going to press to my strength shout yes yes do I have a praise in church up in here? I dare somebody to praise them in advance. I dare somebody to put them hands together and give God a clap offering up in here. 